The Korean Theft Podcast, episode 166. Branding and pricing with Megan Allman. Do you want to grow a thriving, profitable handmade business? My name's Jess Van Den, and I'm here to help you do just that. I took my own handmade business full-time in 2010, and since 2013, I've helped thousands of makers, just like you, create and grow successful handmade businesses. So, are you ready to thrive? Let's get learning. Do you ever feel like you can't price high enough for what you sell? Well, we're going to talk about that in this episode with my friend Megan Orman, who is awesome. She and I are both very much on the same wavelength when it comes to branding and pricing. And if you don't know her, she's a very successful maker. She's a metalsmith and jeweler. Uh, She's dabbled in a lot of other creative fields, and she's also a teacher like me of makers. So we're going to talk about that in this episode. We're going to talk about marketing, branding, pricing, and get ready for some real talk. (laughs) Before we dive into that, I just want to remind you, if you're not already aware, I'm celebrating my 10-year anniversary this month. And one of the things I'm offering is a 10% off all of my Create and Thrive offerings to Thriver Circle members. So if you're a member of the Thriver Circle, you get 10% off my shop critiques, the Create and Thrive guide to product photography, uh, and the brand your craft and how to sell more at markets and shows, self-study e-courses, which are all available over on createandthrive.com. To get access to the discount, head on over to thrivercircle.com and sign up right now. And once you're signed up and logged in, you'll get the code that you can use to purchase all the other products and get that sweet little discount. So let's get started with this episode, my interview with Megan Norman. Hey, Megan, I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. It's awesome to catch up with you. We've known each other for many years now. Yes. <laughs> I remember spending a day, a very rainy day in New York with you once upon a time. Yes. Um, and and I, spent a, I spent a much sunnier day with you at the beach. <laughs> Over here in Queensland, yes. 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 <laughs> so it's awesome to catch up and chat about money and making because I think this is a really important topic that we're both quite passionate about. But before we get into that, for people who are listening who don't know you, could you just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, so I am a a designer, a metalsmith, and an educator. So I have been running my eponymous jewelry line for, I think, like 12 years now. It's starting to to feel like a really long time. Uh, (laughs) It's kind of crazy. So yeah, so I've been running my jewelry line um, for 12 years. I sell online. I do a lot of wholesale, so I sell to a lot of stores as well. Um, and then in addition to that, I have a website called Designing an MBA where I run classes. Um, I also have taught a number of classes for Creative Live, so some of you may have seen me on there. Um, and I recently la- launched a new um, online mentorship program called Artists and Profit Makers because I really wanted to have a space where we could talk about making money and making art because I felt like those conversations needed to be joined more. Yeah, definitely. There's there's this weird thing. I think a lot of people have that sort of starving artist mindset that if you're making true art, you can't make money. What do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I think that it's total crap. Um, but <laughs> also, just to set the record straight. Um, but I also think that, you know, it's one of those where we have come up with this really narrow definition of art. 
And mm -hmm. so when we have this really narrow definition, then like only like art with a capital A counts as art. And then you have to suffer for that art. And I don't believe that at all. I believe that, you know, whatever your medium, whatever your final outcome, if you're in your studio and it feels like you're making art to you, then you're making art. And so then a big part of what I do is to try to help you figure out how to sell that art, that products, that however you define what you do to help you sell it for an amount of money that you can sustain your business and sustain your life. Absolutely. I love that. And I know in our industry, you know, in the, the making industry, the handmade industry, mm -hmm. and there is such a huge problem with underpricing and undervaluing of work. Um, I think a lot of that comes from people who come from a hobby-based mindset, but I think it also comes from people who just, people aren't valuing their skills and their and what they're doing because I think a lot of time we think, oh, it's easy for us to do. Whereas someone from the outside would go, oh my God, that's, that's complicated or that's difficult. And not only the skill, but also the creativity that goes into that is truly valuable. Yeah. So, you know, I think that you're, you're so right. We, we think it's easy for us. And so we don't value it. And then I think the other problem comes from looking around and comparing what we do to things that are manufactured and mm. trying to think that we can compete on price and we can't compete on price. You're never mm. going to compete with whatever target is selling or whatever the big box store, you know, is selling, you can't compete on price. You're never going to win. And so one of the only ways to get out of that kind of pricing mindset is to think, okay, I'm going to, I can't compete on price. I have to charge what I have to charge. So I'm going to quote unquote compete on other things, um, which is, you know, really connecting with your customers, being an individual, being that artist, being that visionary. Um, and that's actually why I'm so passionate about artists making money, because I think that's kind of like our secret weapon. We're not trying to be like everybody else. We, you know, every artist, you should have this unique creative vision. And so when you have that, that's the thing that you should compete on instead of trying to make sure that your prices are comparable to whatever, you know, big box stores around the corner. Yes. Yes. We are not a commodity. We need to compete on something other than price. And I think I just, you know, I kind of want to shout that from the rooftops because I really do think people need to get that into their heads that, you know, you see it on the time on Etsy and places like they do like us, you know, they're, people from, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, resellers from China or whatever, and they're selling something similar to mine for, you know, a third of the price. And like, well, you, you can't compete with that on price. You've got to compete on everything else, originality, brand, the, 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 the heart that, that comes from your work, the creativity and the, the, the handmade aspect of it, the genuineness of it. And all of those things are things that you need to bring forward in your branding and marketing. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I do want to acknowledge that I think it's so easy for, you know, people listening to say like, oh, Megan and Jess, it's so easy for you to just say like, just raise your prices. But mm -hmm. I, I want to acknowledge that I know that it's really scary for a lot of people. Oh, I know scary. that there's a lot of fear <laughs> around that. And like, I always just tell people, you know, you have to just you just like rip the bandaid off, bite the bullet, whatever analogy you want. You just have to be brave about it because at the end of the day, if you're not pricing high enough, you're going to run yourself into the ground and you're going to run your business into the ground. So at some point it just becomes unsustainable. You are not a machine. You're a human. No. Um, so I acknowledge that it's scary, but like, I'm going to ask everybody to be, uh, to be a little bit brave. Um, when I, you know, first started out, I had some people have heard me tell this story. I had a mentor who like yelled at me about my prices and I so did not want to disappoint her. So I raised them and like I had 
zero confidence, but I did it anyway. And then eventually like you, you kind of just grow into that. You grow into your prices, um, but you have to have that courage to just set them where you know they need to be. Yeah. And it is scary. I mean, I've done it multiple times myself and you always have that fear in the back of the mind. What if nobody buys anymore? Yeah. <laughs> what if that's it? What if I've destroyed my business and I can never come back from it? Um, but, I, you know, personal experience, that's never happened to me. Yeah. And it never happened to anyone else I'm aware of. <laughs> so, yeah, it's definitely something that needs to be done. So let's talk a bit more about marketing. There's a lot of stuff out there about marketing on the web these days, you know, endless amounts of advice about sales tactics and marketing tactics and blah, blah, blah. But a lot of it is aimed at people selling services or e-products. And I know you and I are both in the situation where we're like, hang on a second, this doesn't necessarily work or it's not necessarily Go, you know, don't necessarily do things that way because it's a different market. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think that's one of the other reasons I started Artists and Profit Makers is because I was so tired of hearing, you know, makers and artists say, well, like I heard such and such, such tell me I should do it this way. And I was like, yeah, because they're a service provider. Or they're an infopreneur. And of course they said do it that way, but it doesn't work for, you know, a product-based business. And I know that because I run both types of businesses. And so I, <laughs> as do you. And yeah. so we have this advantage of seeing like what works for one and what works for another. And of course there are things that overlap, but there are also you know, things that are totally different. And I think, you know, a, a really big example of this is like the lead magnet or the opt-in incentive or whatever it is that you do to get people to join your email list, which if you're not getting people on an email list, you should be like, that's 100% mm -hmm. number one marketing thing you should be doing. But you know, every, every <clears throat> info marketer and service provider, they'll say, well, you need something that's informative and useful. And, and if you're selling information, then yes, you absolutely do. But if you're selling a product, you don't, and you shouldn't waste your time on that because what you want on your list are people who love your work and cannot mm -hmm. wait for the next thing. And those people don't need, you know, a thing about 10 ways to hang art on their wall. They're not looking to you for that. They're looking <laughs> for you to, again, show them like your creativity, your vision, and they want to be the first to know. They, that's who you want on your list, the people who really care about your work. And those people don't need an opt-in incentive. They don't need that kind of thing. So that's, I think, one big area where I know so many people are like, oh, well, I haven't started my email list yet because I don't have, an, I don't have a lead magnet or I don't have an opt-in incentive. If you're a maker, you don't need one. You just need to put the sign-up form on there and say, be the first to know about new work. And then you're done and now you can start building your list. <laughs> so what do you feel about things like uh, discounts for signups and stuff like that? Oh, you know what? I'm also not a fan of those. I have to say, mm -hmm. I will, I will say that I do. It's funny because I have a free shipping um, offer for my list, but also if you spend $125 in my store, you automatically get free shipping. Um, right. <laughs> and most people spend that much in my store. So, um, I, people use it occasionally, but again, I feel like if your default thing is to say, oh yeah, join my list and get 10% off or join my list and get 20% off. Think about who you're attracting with that. You're attracting mm. people who want a discount and sure it's going to get people on your list, but don't you want people on your list who really love your work and are willing to pay full price for it? Um, for me, that's kind of the people that I want. So I like to focus my list building around launches and upcoming product, you know, upcoming product mm. releases and things like that because those are the people that I really, really want. Um, I do occasionally run an online sale, and so I'll do a little bit of list building around that, but I definitely don't offer a blanket discount to my list. The other reason I don't do that is because 
to me, it's kind of disrespectful to the people who are already on my list. It's like, oh, well, you've been there for a while. You don't get a discount. But if you're new, you can have a discount. No, my most valuable people are the people who've been on my list for years and buy and buy and buy and buy. Um, and so I think it's kind of disrespectful to them to give a discount to someone new. That's a really good point. I hadn't thought about it in that way before. So, you know, getting those people on your list, uh, which I agree, an email list, especially if you are a business that releases new things regularly. So my jewellery business, we focus on getting new customers because most of our customers are one-offs because it's wedding rings that Mm -hmm. we specialise in. You don't really want people to be return customers for that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But for most businesses in the handmade industry, you are looking for return customers and getting those people on the list. And, you know, I think some of the businesses I see that are the most successful are definitely the ones that are regularly releasing new collections, new designs and limited edition things as well. I mean, I know, you know, you work with a lot of gemstones and stuff like that. So things are unique and the people who really love your work, they want to be the first to know so they can get it before it disappears. Yeah. And you know, you bring up such a good point. I always, I tell people that I work with that you have to decide sort of what, which marketing strategy you're going to use. Um, and I divide them up into two. So one is what you're talking about, like a one to many strategy where you kind of have one core product or a core offer and you know, you're not going to get a lot of repeat customers. And so, right, your job is to go out and get those new customers over and over again. And then the other strategy is the one that, that I do, which is what I call a thousand true fans. And I did not invent the idea of a thousand true fans. And of course that number, that number varies, but it's the idea that you build this core audience for your work and you keep giving them new things and they keep buying. And so everyone has to kind of find which one works for them. I love the thousand true fan strategy because it Mm -hmm. lets me spend my time in my studio, right? Making that limited edition work, playing with those one of a kind stones, doing all of those fun things. Um, And so I really like that. That's how I like to spend my time. Um, But you may decide that for you, for whatever reason, the you know, one to many strategy makes more sense. And and I have plenty of people that I work with that do that one as well. Um, so part of this marketing piece is understanding like your own creative process and how you want to spend your time uh, because things do look different depending on which one you're doing for sure. I thank you for making that distinction. That's a really helpful distinction. I think to a lot of people listening like, okay, well I can, you know, go one way or the other. And you can have a mix a little bit to a point as well. Like obviously we sell other stuff as well and that we do have repeat customers for things like, you know, our earrings and the necklaces and stuff like that. And I've got people who've come back who've been buying from me for years, but they are the smaller percentage of, of our customer base uh, and the smaller percentage of our income. So we don't focus as much on that type of marketing. So let's talk about talking about the difference between um, product-based marketing and like info product based marketing there's a particular type of marketing that I know you're not a fan of when it comes to makers and that's problem-based marketing we talk a little bit about that yeah so I have such an issue and I didn't realize I had this issue until not that long ago when all of a sudden I just like became so opposed to it um, and I and I realized how many how many issues there were so if you look at kind of traditional marketing advice especially in that like infopreneur service provider space the argument goes that you have to identify a problem um, and it's either a problem that the customer had you know they're they're problem aware as, as it's called so it's either a problem the customer knew they had or a problem they didn't know they had so you first you have to make them aware of the problem then you go on to explain how your business your service your product, solves the problem um, so that then ultimately they buy. And I, I'm i not saying this doesn't work because there's plenty of proof that it does, but I 
very strongly oppose it for a couple of reasons. And the first one is that from a maker perspective, it trips people up in their marketing all the time. They're like, well, my work doesn't solve a problem. And if you want to get technical, sure, right? Like my jewelry solves a problem. What are you going to wear to the meeting? What are you going to wear to your anniversary dinner next week? Like very technically it solves a problem. But then it's kind of that thing of like, are you really like, do you really want to compete on price? Do you really want to compete on problem solving? So mm. I think that is the first thing is I don't want to play in that space because it almost in a way like sells my work short. Like, yes, technically it solves a problem, but it's so much more than that. And so I think that a lot of makers just aren't marketing to their fullest potential because they get hung up on this word problem. The other reason that I really decided that I hate this kind of marketing is if you look at the root of a lot of the negative pressure that we see in this world, it's based in problem solving marketing. So the diet industry, you know, the beauty industry, it's, mm. it's designed to say like, hey, you person over there, you have a flaw, now come buy my product and fix that. And that's not a game that I'm interested in playing because I don't think it does the world any good. So instead of trying to manufacture problems, I want to you know, connect with my customers. I want to sell on emotion. I want to, them to have this visceral response to my work. And you know what? Some people are going to love my work and some people are going to hate my work, but I'm not, I don't want to try to manufacture a problem just to get those people who don't like my work to suddenly feel like they need my work. That is so profound. And I totally agree. This idea that yeah, people need fixing uh, is prevalent and pervasive. And I think the root of a lot of negativity in the world right now. Um, and, you know, let we're being honest here from a perspective of we both sell, as we said, yes. we both sell jewelry, we both sell info products. And in the info <clears throat> product arena, we are helping people solve a genuine problem that they have. But when it comes to the jewelry, like for me, same thing, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not manufacturing a product. I'm trying to share what's good about my product and how it's good for my customer and, you know, good for other reasons, good for, for the fact that they're supporting um, a family business, that it's eco-friendly, you know, we use recycled selling silver. So there's all these positives about our product and choosing to buy from us and we prefer to focus on that and actually using that in our marketing. Is that the sort of thing you're talking about as well? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think, right. So focusing on the positives, why someone should buy from you. But I also think that, you know, one of the things that the other reasons that I, I want to focus so much on helping makers break free of the hold that info marketing has on like their marketing brain is that so much of what we do and what we can communicate about our products is nonverbal. Um, you know, I, people in my community spend so much time obsessing about what, what should they say? What should they say in their social media captions? What should they say in their product listings? And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm going to be totally honest with you guys, like social media listings. I'm like, stop worrying about it. Cause people aren't reading your social media captions anyway. <laughs> like, I mean, not to be like, but like to be fair, especially since Instagram started truncating them, right? Most people are scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And so I think when we, again, when we think like I have to, you know, come up with a problem that my thing solves and I have to talk about my work in this way, we're negating the fact that what we do is supremely visual, supremely visceral, and, and we're missing an opportunity to really focus on that. And so I also think that if you're trying to sell a physical product, your, you know, your product, your art, however you want to find that, you should be spending like 
80% of your time on your photography and 20% of your time on your writing, if that much. Um, yeah. Honestly, because it's that for it's it's that thing, you know, it's so cliche. A picture says a thousand words, but it does. And your images are how you communicate that emotion and make that connection. And that's something that no infopreneur is ever going to be able to tell you about. They're, they're sort of starting to get into it now because, you know, Instagram, but they're so <laughs> far behind. Like we, again, as visuals, as artists, as creatives, we have the edge here. And so, you know, for me, it's not about like, let me explain to you why my product is great. It's like, no, I'm going to show you image after image after image or image that makes you fall in love with my product and feel like you need to have it. That it, yeah, a hundred percent. I just I can't agree with you more. The amount of times I've tried to, I, I you know, sometimes you feel like you're just beating people over the head with the message, but <laughs> yeah. photos are key. Photos are key. You need to have beautiful photos. That is what will set you apart. That is what will make you stand out from the crowd, and that is what will make people stop. That'll stop the scroll if they see a beautiful image, um, and then if they want to know more, they'll click through and find out. Exactly, and I think you know the thing is too your images should have personality. They should relate to the emotions of your brand. Um, you know, I, th I think this is the other trap that a lot of makers fall in. And I know I remember it happened like in the early days of Etsy, it was like everyone would kind of get on like these kicks of like, we're all going to use the same sort of background of what, like, I remember <laughs> when I first started on Etsy, I, I was like spray painting everything I could find white, like rocks and branches yep. and then like hanging stuff on it. And, um, and so you kind of fall into these traps because you're like, Oh, well this is working. So I'm going to do that. And then you have all these people where their photography looks the same. And then that just becomes, again, a thing that people scroll by. And so I really think it's so important when you're thinking about your photography, you have to start by thinking about like, what are the emotions behind my brand? What are the emotions that I want to communicate to my customer? And then how can I bring those into my photography? So it's not just like, oh, that's a pretty ring, but it's like, oh, like that just like sucker punched me. And now I need this in my life because like Megan gets me. Yes, yes. I'm I'm all about down with the white backgrounds. Um, you know, if they work for you, great. And if you're doing wholesale, sure. But put some, yeah, put some personality into your images and brand them. Basically, have have a photography style that when people see the photo, go, oh yeah, that's that's Megan's work. You know, like yeah. it's, they get familiar with it and get to know it. And I think that's really powerful as well. Absolutely. And I'm also super passionate for everyone listening who makes wearable products, jewelers, knitters, whatever it is, sewers. I'm so passionate about that. If your work can be worn, you need more pictures of your work being worn. You need to show it on humans um, because it's so hard to tell. And if you put, mm -hmm. if you put something on a person, it answers 20 questions that you then technically you should still put in your product description, but it answers, it answers how big is it? Like, how does it fit? How does it hang? How does it wear? So just from an informational standpoint, putting your work on humans is so important. Um, but I think also from this like connection and an emotional standpoint, um, you know, it's funny cause I still shoot my product on white background again for things like wholesale and even product images on my website. But so much of my photography is shot on a person. And it, I actually made a big shift in the last year. I used to, you know, work with a model and now I shoot everything on myself. Um, and that was a big shift that I did it. And I've actually had, it helps me release products quicker. I've had a better response from my audience. Um, it's mm. one of the best marketing strategies I've ever done so much so that I even wrote a course about it called market your selfie. Um, <laughs> because I'm so passionate about it. Um, because I also think too, you know, 
first of all, you're the most convenient model you have. Um, it just mm. makes life so much easier because I know some people are like, Oh, I haven't released this product yet. Or like people always ask me to see it on a person and I don't have pictures. You're always going to be the most convenient model. But I also believe that, you know, if we're talking about, you know, besides like problem solving, marketing, creating issues, of course, we also know that there are issues where we always see the same type of person represented in marketing and advertising. Mm. And we know that our maker community is so much more diverse than that in age, in size, in you know color, all of these things. And so one of the best ways that we can bring more you know, more people into the world of marketing is to use ourselves as models so that, you know, if, if you're 60, great, your customers are probably also 60 years old. So they don't want to see what the work looks like on a 20 year old. They want to see what it looks like on another 60 year old. So I think mm -hmm. it's so important to show what your work looks like on real humans. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm the realest human around. So, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, so that's why I started modeling my work on myself and it's really made a big difference in my marketing. That's really interesting to hear because I've always used myself or Nick as models, um, you know, and I've, I've toyed with the idea of, of getting a, a someone else in, but I just kind of never got around to it. So it's heartening to hear that yeah. <laughs> you think it's a really good strategy and you've, you've kind of done both, both things. So everybody listening, hark, hark to what Megan has said here, use yourself and yeah, get out there, be diverse, show, show more of yourself as well. I see a lot of, I think a lot of makers are really, really resident to show themselves in their marketing. Yeah. You know, I think it is. And I think a lot of it again, comes back to, um, you know, we as people who are marketed to perceive ourselves to have a lot of flaws, right? Because we've been told our whole lives, these are the flaws that you have. And so you're like, well, I, I can't go on camera because I have this or that. For me, it was like, oh my gosh, I have dark under eye circles and, mm. but, but I'm like too lazy to put on makeup. And so <laughs> I don't want to take the picture. And then one day I was like, screw it. I'm just going to take the picture and, you know, like slap on a little red lipstick, move on, take a picture, move on with my day. Um, and so, you know, it's, and it's really all about just kind of saying, you know what, like, I get that this is what society says that a perfect person should look like, but I'm more interested in connecting with a human anyway. So mm. I'm going to show myself as a human. And I think that, you know, everyone I talk to, everyone that I've had in Market Yourself, who started showing more images of their work, the re response has been nothing but positive from their customers. They love seeing more of the maker behind the work and they love seeing the products being worn. So it's like absolutely a win-win. Um, though I will say I do also in that class, I teach a lot of, um, I call them like creative cover-up solutions. So, <laughs> so if there are parts of your body that you are really reticent to show, like there are so many creative ways to, to be on camera without putting all of yourself on camera. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point. And um, so what are some of the other ways that makers specifically can be marketing. Like we've talked about, you know, your mailing list and talk, getting really getting your biggest fans on there. We've talked about getting yourself in front of the camera, showing your work being worn or in situ, as I like to say, if it's not an item that can be worn. What are some of the other kind of top tips you have for makers and what works for marketing? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's so funny because for so long I've, I've always been like, well, I know there's so many things and like, you know, pick one and focus on them. But the more and more I'm in business, the more I realize like everything is just sort of like very holistic. Um, and so, you know, if you're not selling to stores, 
first of all, that is a, is a really smart way to, to be marketing your work while also actually generating revenue. So one of the, one of the things that I challenge people to think about is like, okay, you can spend your time on social media all day and you know, you feel like you're marketing. I'm using air quotes here. You feel like you're marketing <laughs> because it feels like work, but honestly, social media is probably the lowest ROI, um, in terms of time, right? You put a lot of time into social media and it's, we all know it's hard to move those customers from social media to purchase. It's not impossible. People do it. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's definitely difficult. And so I always think about, you know, even if your goal is to sell online, you might struggle in the beginning with doing that. So what are other ways that you can create revenue? Can you sell to stores? Because you know what? You know, I used to think like, oh, I, I need my stores to like carry all of my work. And I've since realized, no, no store is going to carry all of your work. My store carries my, my stores carry my bread and butter line. They carry those mm. core pieces that people love. And then that's a lot of where I find my true fans is through stores. They found me in a store. They bought a couple pieces from the store. Then eventually they end up on the website. They end up on the mailing list. They want to see more. Um, so stores are a great marketing strategy. Same thing if you're a person who does retail craft shows. Again, I think we think of like, okay, this is a, a one-off thing, but those are great places to build your email list. You can find those true fans. Um, you know, it can be a short-term strategy instead of a forever life strategy. Mm. Um, so, you know, thinking about some of these things, not as like how I'm going to run my business forever, but how I'm going to find my fans, how I'm going to build up my audience. Um, I think those are super important. Um, and of course we haven't talked about this yet, but I'm obsessed with Pinterest. Um, because, <laughs> <laughs> because what I love about it is I always like to joke that Instagram is like a hungry beast. Like you have to feed it all the time. Whereas mm -hmm. Pinterest is actually more of a search engine. So if you're smart mm -hmm. about the way you use it, Pinterest like works for you while you're working in the studio. Yes. Yes. Things like, okay. So my own jewelry business, I'll let everybody in on a little insider tip here. I don't actually get my business from social media. I actually don't, I do very little yep. <laughs> with Instagram and, and Facebook for my jewelry business because like we talked about earlier, my customers generally aren't repeat customers. They're new. So how do I get them? Pinterest and SEO. Yep. That is where they come from. Yeah. And, and I will <laughs> say, so I am still, even though it's it's 2018. It's going to sound so old school. I am so committed to blogging. Like I think blogging mm -hmm. is so important because again, that's Pinterest marketing and that's SEO. And those yeah. are two big ways to help people find you. And the other thing that I think is so important about blogging is that you own the content. Like I always tell yes. people, if the only place you put an image is Instagram, you have wasted that image because if you're lucky, it lives for a day on Instagram. But if you put mm -hmm. it on your blog and then you pin it to Pinterest and you make sure there are keywords and you're in the you know subject line of your blog, that image could live forever. And so for anyone who is like, well, I don't have time to blog or I don't know what to blog about, my like simple, 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 cheat, easy blogging strategy is literally <laughs> to take the image that you posted on Instagram yesterday, you know, wake up tomorrow morning and put it on your blog put a headline on there that's got some nice keywords in it. And if you're not sure what that headline should be, just describe the picture. It's really that easy. Mm -hmm. um, a, you know, a couple of sentences of something that you're excited about, where you can buy the thing that's in the picture, and boom, you have a blog post. So <laughs> easy. People, I guess. Yes, it's not hard. It's, it's not, it not hard. 
Yeah. It's so, it's so easy. Like people are always like, wait, that's all I have to do for a blog. Yes. Because again, we're not info marketers. We're not service providers. We're selling on our visuals. And so your blog can actually just be a place to store the great images that you're taking so that, you know, in five years from now, if Instagram takes a nosedive or Facebook decides to shut it down for some reason, or the government shut, whatever happens to it, um, it goes belly up, right? You still have those images somewhere on the web that you own. Yes. Oh, so good. So true. So true. So take that top tip, everybody. Basically, take your Instagram posts and put them on your blog. <laughs> Get them working for you and then, yeah, pin them yeah. Pin them to your Pinterest. I mean, I have um, on my Create and Thrive uh, Instagram because I share a lot of like other people's work on that. I actually have a Zapier zap setup that when I post to my Instagram, it pins it automatically to a board on Pinterest. And when I did that and my Pinterest views went up a lot because I was regularly adding new content with no extra effort. So there's a nice little hack for you as well. Um, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, and, Obviously, and- I, I, don't, I don't do that for my ethereal. I could, but I think your strategy is a better one. Yeah, well, and, and if you are really like, I don't, Megan, I don't have an extra 30 minutes and then 15 minutes to 30 minutes in the day to blog, really 15 minutes is all it takes. But if you don't have that, you can use things like I think you can use IFT, the IF. Yes. Tabri say that IFFT. Um, I know. So literally <laughs> automatically post every time you post to Instagram, you could set it up so it automatically posts to your blog. I don't do mm-hmm. that because I like to be able to go in, change keywords, change captions. Um, but at the very least, you could do that. And it means your images live on your blog and not just on Instagram, which is, again, a smart strategy for backing up all those images that you're working so hard to create. Awesome. That is brilliant. Okay. So let's talk a bit more about, um, I think we've, we've touched on this, um, building that emotional connection with your customers. Have you got any tips on how to do that? Because we all know, well, if you don't know, you should know, you know, we don't buy on logic. We buy on emotion. We might think we buy on logic. We, we trick ourselves and think that we buy on logic, but we really don't. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first thing is you have to figure out what emotions your products actually generate. It seems Mm. so obvious, but I think it's something that we completely overlook. Um, So that's the first thing is you have to know what those emotions are so that you can then think about applying them to everything that you do. And so again, this goes back to photography, photography, photography. Um, (laughs) But like once you know, like, are you, uh, you know, are you about like boldness and confidence? Or maybe you're about like, you know, romantic sweetness, like what, you know, what are those feelings that you're trying to convey? And then how do you apply them? What is the color palette? How are you editing your photos? What are your photos of, you know, in addition to your work or what is your, what's the in situ that your work is in? Um, Mm -hmm. Because it's going to look very different for very different kinds of emotions. Um, So I think really, you know, thinking about how you can do that. um, And And really, like when I talk about branding, I say like a a brand is an emotional connection built over time. So it's not like you're like, hey, you know what? Like my brand is about confidence and I'm going to post this one picture and then it's going to be done. No, it does not (laughs) work like that. Like connections are built over time. And so it's about, um, you know, making sure that like every photo that you're posting, every image really backs up those core emotions that your brand is about. And then I think the other thing that's really important for that 20% of your time that you are spending writing is that you think about ways to, this is such a writing cliche, but to show, not tell. Like no Mm -hmm. one wants to go into your product description and read like, this necklace will make you more confident. 
no, that's terrible marketing, right? So instead, you want to think about what stories can you tell that help communicate the emotion. So maybe you're talking about, you know, how, like I'll often talk about how I like when I travel, I just like throw my work in my bag and then I like take it out and it put it on and it like looks just fine. Or you could talk about, you know, a customer wearing, you know, a piece to a really big meeting and, and how much better she felt because she put that necklace on. Um, you know, what are those stories that you can tell that communicate the emotion without having to directly say, this will make you more confident. Um, mm. And you know what? If those stories don't have to be about your customers. Make them about yourself. If you aren't sure, think about your own experience using your products. And if you're not using your own products, it's time to start using your own products so that you have those <laughs> stories to tell. Um, but really thinking about those stories um, because that's also going to drive things home. And you can tell those stories in your product pages, but you can also tell them, you know, in your social media, in the emails that you send to your list. Those are great places for those stories um, because, again, you want to kind of make that connection. And as you mentioned, you know, not a lot of sales come from social media. Most of my sales come from my email list. That is where like a solid 50% of my sales online mm -hmm. come directly from my email list. And so it's about kind of, again, making that, that connection. The other thing that I will say that's so important for making an emotional connection is to write like a human. I, <laughs> it seems so obvious, but oh man, it drives me crazy to see how many people, like they default to this, this really bland marketing speak in their social media. And it's just I'm like, no, just write like a person. And so, you know, one of the first things that I would say is if you're going to write like a person, you're going to write about people, whether that's you or somebody else. Um, the subject matter should not be your work. And that should be, it shouldn't be like the whatever ring is blah, 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 blah. Like who wants to read that on social media? No one wants to read about a ring. They want to read about the person wearing the ring. <laughs> or they want to imagine that they're the person wearing the ring. So I think that's the first thing is like, stop trying to talk about the work and talk about humans um, and then put the work in that context. That is an excellent tip. And yeah, we do, I think, especially a lot of us maybe who are getting started or just don't feel confident in our writing, we do just default, like you said, to that kind of bland marketing speak and don't put much of our own personality in there. But it's putting your own personality in there that will make people fall in love with your brand and with you. You know, they'll get to know you and get to like you. The whole no like and trust thing, that's how it's going to work. Yeah, absolutely. And I always tell people if you're people are like, well, I don't know what to post on social media. I don't know what to write on social media. I would say if you don't know, write about the weather. Like <laughs> I'm like, oh man, it's really gray here today. I need another cup of coffee. Like I can't even tell you how many, you know, Instagram posts I start with some variation of that. Most of those then involve me wearing a ring and holding a coffee cup. Um, it's kind of become a running joke. Um, but that's the thing is like you can the other beauty of marketing is like, you can be that sort of like self-deprecating of like, I know I'm marketing to you and you know I'm marketing to you and we're going to all acknowledge that. Um, but I'm not doing it in a way that feels spammy or sleazy. It's like we're all in on the joke. Like, oh, there's Megan holding, you know, wearing a ring, holding a white coffee cup again. Like it's just, it becomes like, you basically become like your own meme and your own marketing. And so <laughs> your customers are in, like they're in on it. So it totally works. But if I were just like, posting the coffee cup with the ring and then like just being like the the contra ring will make you feel more confident on your way to work then then I'm not making the joke and then it just feels super awkward right so <laughs> so there's a way to do it that feels really human and there's a way to do it that you're like oh she's just trying to sell me something today yeah I love that <laughs> become your own meme That's yeah really 
<laughs> that's, 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 on that. that's my best marketing advice I got. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I think we've covered an awful lot of very useful information in this podcast. I hope you guys have been taking notes. I hope you've had a few aha moments. Uh, I know, you know, I, I mean, gosh, I've been doing this for almost, it's going to be my 10 year business anniversary this year which I can't quite believe, honestly. Uh, but I'm still learning new things. We're always learning new things and working out new ways of doing things, which is what makes it exciting, it <laughs> what does. keeps it interesting. <laughs> so if you want to learn more from Megan, where can people find you? Yeah, so you can find me online. I am at Megan Almond at pretty much everything. So I'm at Megan Almond on Instagram. I'm at Megan Almond on Pinterest. Um, my website is MeganAlmond.com. Um, but if you want to find the educational piece of what I do, you can find me at DesigningTheMBA.com um, and my new site, ArtistsAndProfitMakers.com. Awesome. And go check out her Instagram and, and look for, and count how many coffee cup pictures there are. There are a lot. You might get, you might get tired of counting. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Megan. It was an absolute pleasure talking to you. Yes, thank you for having me. Huge thanks to Megan for coming on the show. Do go check her out and what she has to offer. And of course, go have a look at her beautiful jewellery. Just a reminder, if you wanted to take advantage of that 10% off special that I'm running at the moment, head on over to thrivercircle.com right now to sign up, join our community and educational hub over there, and you'll get 10% off everything that's available over on createandthrive.com. Thank you so much for listening for another week. I'll be back again next week with another episode of the Create and Thrive podcast. Keep thriving and goodbye for now.